If you love a prodigal, you can discover help and hope for your wilderness journey right here at When You Love a Prodigal, and also help and hope for your own life journey. I trust that Dana Russo's wisdom about grief last week was a great benefit to you on your journey with your prodigal. And we have more wonderful help today. Living with and loving a prodigal can be so confusing and frustrating. You don't know what to do, how to handle unacceptable behavior, who can help you. Tom Yoey joins us today, bringing wisdom from years of walking with a prodigal, of developing resources to help hurting parents with effective approaches and real hope, of co-leading Hope for Hurting Parents with his wife, Dina, and now with a just-released book, Moments of Clarity, Wisdom from the Father of a Prodigal. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Judy. Glad to be here. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I think that our listeners will be thrilled also as they get to hear from you. So, Tom, I will never forget the night that you and Dina came to our Prayer for Prodigals, Prodigal Prayer Day night uh, at our house to pray with us. But you had just found out some of the things going on in your daughter's life and uh, that she was cutting and, and other things as well. And for a while, you didn't know where she was. And that's such a frightening thing because uh, you're not even talking about an adult at that point, but still a, a teenager. And you came, and I've told people you kind of looked like you were had uh, caught in the eyes, you know, the deer <laughs> in the headlights. You were just – but so our whole little group, it wasn't a, a big group that night, instead of doing what we normally would do, praying through our list of names, we just spent the time – listening to you all and talking with you and giving you thoughts and especially praying for you all. Uh, none of us knew what a, a long and challenging journey you had ahead of you. Um, but we're grateful to have been part of that journey with you. And you now have had such a ministry in so many people's lives, uh, both when you've spoken to groups and with the wonderful ministry you and Dina uh, have, uh, Hope for Hurting Parents. We had the privilege of having Dina uh, on our podcast last Christmas to talk about Basically, can you be happy at Christmas when you have a prodigal? Yeah. And now you're going to share with us some of the things that you learned uh, on this long journey from a dad's perspective, because mm -hmm. we have heard mostly from a lot of women. So mm -hmm. thank you for coming to do this. Why don't I let you give us just a little background on yourself um, okay. and what you've done, where you're from and your family? Dean and I were, uh, after we got married, went into pastoral ministry, and I pastored churches for about 14 years. And one summer, we heard a brief little video clip about Russia opening up and showing the Jesus film there. And they needed people to come help, uh, work with teachers specifically. And um, so Dean just said, you 
you've got to see this video. I've seen it, and it really grabs me. So I saw it, and it grabbed me as well. We ended up going to Russia for a year with Campus Crusade then. And then at the end of the year, they asked us to transition to full-time staff to continue what we were doing. And we did that. And we were serving on staff with crew now uh, for 14 years. But we had just come back from Russia. Uh, and things went really south with Renee. We came back for her because she was suicidal. She was cutting herself again. And it caught us off guard. We thought she was doing okay. And, uh, but we knew we needed to get back to the States to get the help that she needed. And so that's what brought us to that evening. <laughs> now, you mentioned that, yes, we remember very well. And it, it was like fresh, clear water on a dry, barren land. It was so, so beautiful. It is a wonderful thing when when people who are on a similar journey can come along and help each other. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole purpose of this podcast yeah. uh, is to do that. That's the whole purpose of your book mm-hmm. um, that um, – let me – while we're on the topic of your book, this is not sooner. His book is called Moments of Clarity, Wisdom from the Father of a Prodigal. And I, again, have heard a lot of what he has to say, and I just think you will be so blessed with this book. And I'll go in and tell you right now that we're going to give away two copies. Great. And uh, we will um, – you can, if you're interested in being in the drawing for this book or one of the two copies, go to the show notes or the episode notes, and there will be a link for you to put your name in for it. So. Great. Um, well, here you are back in the States after 14 years. Is that how long you were over there? No, we were only over there a couple of years, but oh, 14 okay. years on staff, on staff total. Okay. And um, you came back and your sweet daughter was in trouble. Yes, yes. So that's been a pretty long journey, and I'm just going to be quiet and let you kind of <laughs> tell us about it. We came back, and we started to get her help that she needed, and she did all right for a while, but then when she went into high school, she started experimenting more with drugs and alcohol, and that continued on into high school. Finally, her senior year, things had gotten bad. The conflicts in the home were constant, and she didn't want to live under our rules, Uh, because there were consequences for the things that she was doing. And she says, I don't have to live here anymore. And she found a friend and her parents took her in temporarily uh, because it was about two weeks. Those parents kicked both the (laughs) girls out because they were drinking, cutting school, and doing other things. And after a little while on the streets, the one other friend of Renee went back home Renee wouldn't. She didn't want to come back home. So she Which was broke at, your heart, of course. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, just wondering where is she living? You know, what's happening to her? How is she providing for herself? Who may be out there that wants to be you know, a predator taking advantage of a young girl? Um, she did manage. Actually, I don't know if I can say this, but one of the administrators of the high school knew something was off and offered her a place to stay. And 
she pretty much did the same thing she did with us, with this administrator, and she finally had to tell her to leave. Um, but she went out, and then she would call us when she would cut herself and then cut herself so severely that she needed medical attention. And those were so hard to receive those kind of calls. And they usually came in the middle of the night, and we would go to the hospital. We would uh, help, try to help her, and she just um, didn't seem to want to stop what she was doing. And then one, after several years, there was a group from our church that were keeping tabs with her. It was the youth group area, 20-something, they called it. And they kind of kept tabs with her. And one of the young men would call us and tell us what's happening with her. You know, Renee's doing this, she's okay, or she's, she's drunk, or she's, you know, cutting, or let's get together, let's, you know, chat. And one night he called and he said, we're going to have a come to Jesus talk with Renee. I've got several of our friends. We know where she's partying tonight. Please pray for us. And so we did. We were glad that they were going to do that. And it became a, a battle between the two groups because they had, uh, Renee and her friends had pooled all their money, were going to do it up big with their drugs and stuff. And these guys and some girls came from the church and they said, Renee, you got to get out of here. You know, you can't keep doing this. And after some long conversations, she finally said, okay, I'll go, but tomorrow I'm going to party up big tonight. And she did. And then she felt so overwhelmed with guilt. She cut herself up so severely. Um, and they picked her up the next day and they took her to a treatment center. And they said, we can't take her because she needs to be detoxed and she's got fresh wounds. And uh, they said, bring her back in four days. And she didn't want to come to our home, and so they just kind of kept around her. And uh, what wonderful friends! Yes, to yes. do that. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And um, so they they kept her safe. Uh, they did some fun things, and they they went to church. They went to did Bible studies, and then they took her to treatment, and she went into treatment. And that was a big uh, turnaround for her. She remained sober and clean for about three years. Uh, during this time, a story was written about those four days that went viral, mm -hmm. turned into a nonprofit, and uh, interviews started being given. Uh, she was on the national news. And so our story became very public. And they would have her go around and speak at universities and tell her story. She did that for three years, and one night they sent her off to Philadelphia, but they sent her alone this time, thinking that she would be okay. She'd always had somebody with her. And this exhausted her after she finished doing this talk. She thought, oh, I've been good for three years. I think I'll have a drink. She went to a bar. She drank. She drank too much. Fortunately, a nice person drove her, got her back to her hotel. But she felt so overwhelmed with guilt again. She cut she herself up. She cut herself up again. Again. Yeah. This time very severely. That she, And she took some pills. So we got the call in the middle of the night. And, Love uh, those middle of the night calls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they always seem to come, you know, in those yes. times. 
so we we kind of walked her through calling down the, the desk at the hotel, calling 911 and getting some help. And I we flew up to get her. And uh, that was that went on for another couple more years uh, before she had any significant changes. And it was just devastating for Dean and I. And we weren't familiar with cutting. It wasn't something we ever knew about or learned about or no, heard about. It's more recent, I think. Yeah. And um, we didn't know where to go for help um, and what to do. So we finally started attending Al-Anon meetings. They were very helpful, you know, very helpful. And then um, we thought, you know what? We would like to start including scripture and prayer. And so Dean and I prayed about it, and we thought we could start our own support group. And that's what we began doing and met in our home for a number of years. And as we heard more and more from other people who didn't have anything, that how can we help other hurting parents who are not local? And we thought, well, maybe we could write a curriculum to help them start a group if they're willing. You know, that's the biggest obstacle. Uh, are you, do you feel ready or could you, you know, facilitate a group? But that's the best we thought we could do. And so we wrote a facilitator guide and parent notebook. And So tell me a- while we're on that then, your ministry, the uh, Hope for Hurting Parents. Tell a little about how that works and how it's grown. It started with just Dina's blog um, and our website. And then as we began to produce, well, she produced her book, published her book, I think about five years ago, six years ago. And then as the traffic on the website began to grow and then we began to develop this curriculum and hearing more about groups getting started, uh, then we realized that we needed some help. So we were able to get two moms who had been connected with our support group and who had moved to different states began to be interested in what we were doing. And so they became our teammates. So we have two teammates, uh, Val and Beth, and they help those facilitators or, or want to be facilitators get started and maybe promote their group or help um, any questions they may have and uh, may come so up. So do you just, you have a curriculum? Do they, you just give it to them and they do it or do you do a training or? We really tried to make it as simple as we could and make it highly facilitated, you know, rather than a teaching type. And so, yes, they do it on their own and, uh, but we're available if they have questions, if they need to get things clarified. So we make ourselves available for that. We've talked about training, and we've tossed that around. And right now we're in the midst of talking to our facilitators to find out what are the needs they have, what kind of training would be helpful, what kind of issues would should we address. And so we're moving from there. Well, I know that you have good content, and, <laughs> and I know that because I've seen it. But I also know that when... I get people who really have needs that are beyond my capacity to really help them. I send them to Tom and Dina (laughs) and say, you know more than I do on how to take the steps to get help. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk about your book a little and and what's in there, those moments of clarity. Mm -hmm. Um, 
tell us in your journey, um, how did God begin to show you, open your eyes to understand some things that could really be helpful um, for the parents, for the the child, the, <laughs> and uh, and then to pass on to other people? What were some of those moments of clarity for you? Yeah, they were moments that God got through to me in a clear way that gave me some type of direction or something, even words that I needed to say uh, that really helped for that moment for what I was going through. Uh, I think one of the big ones for me was guard your marriage. I had a pastoral professor I went to a small Christian university who said to us, <laughs> well, you know, decades ago, crisis of any kind, guard your marriage. And that came back. God brought that back to me as we started going through this with Renee. And so I knew, okay, this is what I need to do. There's a lot of things I didn't know what to do and how, what direction to go and what steps to take, but I knew what, I knew what to do here. And so we're going to guard our marriage. And so we we made sure we had date nights. And on those date nights, we would not talk about Renee. We would talk about our relationship. We would get to know each other better. And Family Life actually produced a wonderful book. And I can't come up with a name right offhand. <laughs> but it was just a, a, a question with a blank page. And one page is for the husband, one page is for the wife. And one answers the question, the other one writes down everything they say without comment. <laughs> and then it's the other person's turn. And it was a good way to hear and just listen to each other and listen to each other's heart and dreams or what have you. And that was great. And then we took advantage of family life uh, marriage conferences. We attended those. We did a couple of those. And then our church offered a marriage ministry, and we attended those. So we, we took intentional steps to help guard our marriage because this is rough. You know, you, you sometimes you don't know what to do. Each of us could be on different trains. I was just saying you don't always agree on what to exactly, do. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and I know that with our experience was if Renee sensed that we were not united, she would use that to turn the conversation off of her onto one of us. It's something. Amazing how many of those kids have that ability. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be some, you've mentioned some, uh, just a little more on what did you do then that you learned at the different conferences or from these things that really made the difference in keeping you all together? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it came down to a couple few slogans that were really powerful, very simple, but very powerful. Mm -hmm. One was, I'm not the enemy. <laughs> you know, we get so mad at each other, you know, and 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 Dina would say it, or I would say it. We just say, "Dina, Tom, I'm not the enemy." <laughs> you go, "Yes, you're right. You're right. We're in this together." That's, that's good. And then um, another one is, "What do you need from me most right now?" Uh, because sometimes Dina would just need to vent, but I'm ready to fix something. I'm ready to jump in with it, you know. And she goes, "I really just need you to listen to me right now." Thank you. <laughs> so that that was a very good one. Um, and then I think, um, well, there's another, it's not a phrase that we, well, we came up with. It's called, uh, can they carry the suitcase? 
And that had to do with your relating to other people because we got different reactions from different people, uh, even within our own family. Uh, my uncle <laughs> once said, what do you think you did wrong? Isn't that – that's <laughs> just such a common question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, – and we realized that you know people, people's capacity to carry other people's pain differs. Yes. And no fault of their own, you know. I don't blame them, uh, but maybe the things that they're going through just doesn't allow them to have that capacity, and they can't hear our story. They can't hear our pain, and it's okay. I've, I've learned to just well, and it be scares graceful. them. Yes. It's it's like what if that happens to us? Yes. And yes. so. Yeah. They want to think it was something you did wrong so they can avoid it as opposed to thinking there's something going on with this person who's causing the pain and we need to figure that out as opposed to blame each other. Yeah. So. It's like we have something that's contagious. You know, If I hang around you too long, it might wear off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is true. So one of the things I know that was important in your walk, in your journey, uh, was the understanding the need for boundaries and consequences and how you use that. Uh Can you talk about that a little? Yes. And that was one of the things that took a lot of effort from Dean and I. And we would spend, I would say, literally hours trying to discover what are the boundaries that we can set that we both can equally enforce so that we present a united front. And I don't think there's a prescription for any family because mm-hmm. they have their own scenarios. They have their own situations they have to factor in. Uh, but we we would sit and we would figure out, okay, what are the boundaries we can set and can we both enforce them? And once we decided on what those were, we gave a, we had a talk with Renee to clearly explain what they were. So she would say, I didn't know you know, this, I didn't know what the boundary was. I didn't know what the consequence was. And in fact, we actually printed it out and gave it to her. Not that it really mattered. Probably she just tossed it. No, but, but it made it more tangible. Yes. And um, so we we discovered a few of those that we felt we could enforce and deal with. And again, something that we did that I don't expect other people to, I don't, I'm not saying this is what you need to do. Because we know of people who did just the opposite, and it worked out great. Yeah. You know, so I don't intend to do this. But one of the things that when Renee left our home just before she graduated from high school, you know, she left voluntarily. Um, one of the things that we did not want our home to become was what they used to call a crash pad, mm-hmm. where you go out and you get drunk or high on drugs. You come home, you sleep it off, you go out and do the same. And it's a cyclical thing. You keep doing and doing it. I said, no, that's not our home. And we had other children in the home. And so right. we we told Renee, if you choose to drink, you choose to live somewhere else. And after one of her relapses, after she got out of treatment, uh, we had to enforce that boundary. And she knew it. And she came home the next morning. She gathered her stuff. And we had a conversation, and it was one of the most honest, one of the most genuine conversations. There was no anger. There was no animosity. There was no bitterness. And simply she said, Mom and Dad, when I was in treatment, the people who 
were re in recovery and working it well said they knew when they were done. And she goes, I'm not done. I don't think I'm done. I go, but Renee, you can't control what that means. It can mean you're dead. It can mean you're lame. It can mean so many things. In jail, you can't control it. She goes, I know, but I just don't think I'm done. And we just hugged and embraced and wept. And uh, she walked off the porch and got into the car from a friend and took off. But what I'm hearing you say is that whereas in the early times there was a, she was fighting against you. Yes. And, and so you had in your struggle and working through all this come to a place of being able to um, maintain relationships. Uh -huh. and and still have uh, the clarity uh, of of a good boundary that she understood. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, a lot of times when people do boundaries, they throw them at them in a sense. And they they speak angrily because they've hurt them. You know, the, the family is hurt. Yeah. And so they, they get angry. Uh, but that isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> it just creates... Yeah more conflict or she's gone uh -huh. and 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 so you came to un, to be able to maintain relationship mm -hmm. and and she understood mm -hmm. that w what a wonderful parting that was not wonderful in right. that it happened yes. but how it happened that yes. it wasn't an angry separation yeah. uh, like it had been earlier right and so yeah. go ahead it, when, uh, like you were saying, when she was in high school and she would act out, you know, you're grounded, you know, and a lot of it was said in anger and, you know, that happened so often and we just didn't know what else to do and stuff. But um, I think one of the things that also helped change our relationship was she had, again, cut herself up very, very badly, was in the hospital. I was in West Palm Beach with my son who was in college at the time, helping him and I was driving back to the hospital, and I go, God, I just don't understand. I don't know what I'm going to do. What do I say to her? How do I approach this? And I just sense God saying, Tom, I love you unconditionally, and I love Renee unconditionally, and you need to communicate that to her, that you love her unconditionally. And so when I walked into the hospital room, she was so she was broken and apologetic. She said, "Oh, Daddy, please don't be mad at me." And I said, "Oh, honey, we're not mad at you." I said, "Renee, nothing that you've done or has been done to you will ever change our love for you. We love you. We will always love you. We love you unconditionally." And that was fairly early in some of this. It was again after, uh, right before one of the treatment centers. But I think. Like you were saying, it has kept the relationship established. That makes all the difference, is yeah. my observation. Um, there may be strong disagreements, uh, but if you can maintain relationship and talk, I have a, a something I wrote called the Voice of Grace, mm -hmm. and to calm our voice down and mm -hmm. to speak um, positively to them, not angrily or negatively to them. And it, it just allows relationship to be there. And guess what? Then they can come back. Mm -hmm. If there's been too much 
uh, fighting and animosity, then they think they're not welcome back. Yeah. Even yeah. though in most cases they would be very welcome. Yeah. But it's what you've done is make it possible for mm-hmm. her to come home. Yeah. And um, I I just love that that's the case. We did explain to her that this will always be a home for you. It's just not a crash pad. <laughs> yeah, and that's a difference. Yeah. That's true. Well, you mentioned to me um, the threat of isolation um, and how your ministry has been key to helping a lot of parents. I'm sure that when you're in ministry, there's this, oh, no, I can't talk about it. People will judge. People will think we're not being godly parents or whatever, Mm -hmm. and we can get criticized quite a bit. And yet you've been able not only to be open, uh, but to then come alongside and help others. And one of the threats you said that was really a problem is that isolation because people are afraid to let someone else know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're embarrassed. We feel guilty. Uh, and we'll just withdraw. And again, I, I think that's that's very much the attack of the, of the enemy is oh, to yeah. get us aside. And it's interesting enough, the, the illustration that strikes me so well, it helps me so well, is the little illustration used in the crew for spiritual laws where the fire, you know, if you take the log, one log out, you know, the fire is going to go out quickly. But if you keep them together, that fire keep, can keep going. Right. And that's a beautiful illustration of don't isolate, get together with supportive understanding community. Uh, it's so necessary and hard. I, I resisted going to a group for quite a while. Um, and when I did, uh, I didn't want to say anything. And when I left, I was resentful. I said, I've got to make another commitment to another activity while she's out there having fun. <laughs> and and uh, But I needed it. And it took me, I was slow coming to that, but I needed it. And I'm glad that I found it. One of the other marvelous things, which we haven't brought up, but with crew, they established the You're Not Alone conference for staff uh, just for that purpose, you know, to help staff know they're not alone and that they have a place where they can get with others who are walking similar pain. And it, it was a godsend. It was a godsend for our lives. And for many people. Yes, it is. It really it's, has been. It it's, continues to be. It's a beautiful thing that God has done. I love when he takes the pain that people experience and then allows that pain to be a salve and a help and a healing for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's a good thing. Now, you have more points of clarity, I know. Can you share a, a, a few more of those? Yes. Um, you, want, you want to look at your yeah, book? Yeah, let me look at my illustration. <laughs> and we talked about carrying the suitcase and, uh, you know, the unconditional love. One of the other ones that was meaningful for me was uh, after a confrontation with Renee, a battle we had at, at home. And, you know, we both strong-willed, and so we kind of clashed. And we, I stormed upstairs and uh, 
took all I had not to slam the door behind me. <laughs> Just like a child. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> and uh, knelt down at the side of my bed and started praying. I said, oh, God, you know, when are you going to get her to listen? When are you going to help her to understand? And when, you know, yada, yada, just giving it all. And then finally, I just, I paused for a moment, mostly because I was tired. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> but God got through to me. And he goes, Tom, why do you keep talking to somebody who's not listening? I go, oh, yeah, Renee definitely is not listening to me. And then it was kind of like, and why aren't you talking to somebody who is? <laughs> Meaning him. And that helped a lot because I realized that we had gone over and over the same things all, you know, with Renee uh, repeatedly. And she wasn't hearing it. She'd heard all she was going to hear. More of it, or said louder, <laughs> wasn't going to make her hear it any better. And uh, while prayer would, and my conversations with God, at least he's listening and he understands, which is another uh, moment, was I realized through Genesis, God's a hurting parent. Yes, he is. <laughs> I mean, there's Adam and Eve. We are all prodigals. <laughs> yep, yep, we're all prodigals, and he's got to deal with us. <laughs> and, um, you know, things got messy early on in all of creation and with humanity. And so I realized that I had a friend, somebody who did understand what the pain of having a prodigal is and uh, somebody who I could trust walking through it. Genesis, I think, in 6, I don't know what verse it is, we talked about the thoughts and intents of man's heart were continually wicked all the time, and God was grieved to his heart. And that's what we walk through. Yeah. You know, we grieve, and he knows it. And, and he knows it. It's If we can realize he's not just a God up there who is looking down and shaking his head, <laughs> though he has plenty of reason to. But he understands because he's been there yeah. himself. Yeah. And what a, what a beautiful thought. Yeah. It was very helpful. Um, one of the things I'd be interested to hear from you is the difference. My observation is the moms, the women, are much more... Uh, willing to come and look for help or to be t talking about it. And as you said, you didn't want to go and get the help. Mm -hmm. And um, yet dads need it a lot yes. uh, yeah. themselves. Mm -hmm. But the child needs for the dad to get the help too. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So have how did you all work through that or what did you learn in that? I... I can't speak for men in the sense um, factually. It's it's partly, I think, that in my opinion, is they don't know what to do. They're probably frustrated they can't fix it. Uh, maybe even feel, I, I mean, I felt awful, though it was out of my control, that I didn't protect Renee better. And I think... Uh, and, and when you're dealing with a prodigal, in many so many cases, it's so expensive. If you have to deal with treatment centers or counseling or a you know, number of hospital bills. Yes, the hospital bills. Um, and so 
I think it's easy to say, this is how I'll deal with it. I'll throw myself into work because we need the money. And that's my contribution into this. Now, again, I don't have any facts or anything to back that up. It's totally speculative. But I think that that may be part of it. Um, I don't know if it's just part of manhood that we're slower you know, to these well, things. <laughs> wanting to be stronger, maybe, <laughs> and think I don't need that as yeah. much. Yeah. Um, but my watching you and Dina, which I've gotten to do, it's been a beautiful thing to see the work that God has done mm -hmm. and that you've been pretty open and honest about it. So I've heard some of the stories that you just said about going up the stairs and wanting to slam the door, <laughs> but at least resisting. <laughs> but, um, and I can remember with, with our son that I would yell at him because it's like, quit doing this. <laughs> and, um, and learning to be uh, more mature adults <laughs> and able to manage our own emotions so mm -hmm. that we can have a chance to help that person manage their emotions. And, yeah. and I've loved to see how you and Dina have done that. And grateful. Well, I, I think we realized that our health would, our overall health was going to be vital because what if Renee decided to come back and want to live, you know, a life with Christ and, and embrace all of that. And we were the mess. <laughs> so we realized that that was very, very important to try to stay healthy in all areas of our lives that we could um, so that we would be in a position to receive her back and uh, not. And you have. Yes, yes, we have. We have. We're very, very fortunate. Um, not the way we want it, <laughs> but it certainly has had the results that we'd hoped for. That's beautiful. I'm glad to, I'd love to watch it yeah. and to see what's happening. So, let me just let you summarize a little some of the most important things. If if some dad comes to you and says, what do I need to know? What's the first thing I need to know? Uh, what's the most important? What can't I do? What should I do? Those kinds of things. I know you don't want to give advice, <laughs> but you can speak from your own experience. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think the love, loving unconditionally, um, you can't escape the verse, you know, God manifested his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's so powerful, you know, not waiting for us to clean our act up or get ourselves straight before coming to him, but doing it regardless of our response. It's there for us at the taking. And so I think that's regardless of their response, we communicate that to them and let them know that repeatedly. And, um, I think also to uh, let them know they're welcome home. Um, again, if they want to live a wholesome life, you know, a productive life, or um, that they would have a place to come back to. Um, and I think build a relationship. You know, obviously, if you're married, focus on your marriage. Don't let it deteriorate, but actually make it grow in that time because you're going to need each other through that. Uh, if you're not, 
married, uh, if there's a special person in your life, guard that relationship because you need the friendship. You need that support. Mm -hmm. um, having some clear boundaries, again, that you can be united on um, and um, explain them clearly. Let, let them know what those are and do it in a calm way. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, the tone, the attitude, uh, the volume of the voice is so important. Uh, that's a hard lesson for me to learn. <laughs> I, I struggle with that a lot, but I think that would be a, that's a good one. So if somebody who's listening is saying, help, I need help, how do I get it? How would they get in touch with you? Our website, uh, hopeforhurtingparents.com, would be a good place to start. Uh, Dina sends out encouraging emails, free five days a week, three days a week, one day a week, your preference. Those were very helpful. Dina has written a lot of really good stuff. <laughs> very helpful. Yes. Uh, God has really gifted her, and she's using those gifts very well. Um, also, I think if there are resources that we put on our website that we've just come across as we trying to figure out whether it's a treatment center or other organizations that might be very helpful. Uh, we came across uh, situations where maybe like an adoptive parent, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have that situation. It's unique, I think, and they might want an adoptive parent community. And so we have resources for that. Uh, different books, you know, we've gone through, we've tried to find a lot of broad range issue books. Uh, they're on the website as well. Uh, so we try to put a lot in there that people could go to. And in some situations, uh, we may know of someone else who knows. Right. And so that's – we could refer. But I'm them. the one who always sends them to you all. So. <laughs> and we'll send them on to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to uh, just kind of wrap up with some thoughts on the the importance of your relationship with God through this. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I think of – my relationship with God, scripture, prayer, and a supportive community. Those are the three things I think that walked, that that we both, Dina and I, uh, take us through this hard and painful journey. Um, I was I was angry with God initially. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand, but. I think sometimes people say like, oh, God, you didn't, you didn't intervene here. You didn't do this. I'm done with you. And I think, no, you know, I'm not done. I'm, the relationship is not being broken. It's strained maybe right now or maybe I'm a little ticked off at you right now, but I'm not going to disconnect from you. And so honestly, sometimes it was hard to pray. Sometimes yeah. it was hard to open up the Bible. Uh, but what I did do is uh, I love creation. I love God's creation. I just think it's wonderful. It's beautiful. So many things in it that's just marvelous and mystifying and exciting. And so I would just relish in creation. I would see the things, and that would help me praise him. You know, that would help me to thank him. That would help him me to be more grateful for what I was going through. And over time, we worked through <laughs> my, my anger and disappointment. <laughs> Stuff. Well, but that's no surprise that there's anger and disappointment. Yeah. When you mentioned thanking him and being grateful, that was the, a huge turning point for me mm -hmm. uh, that has changed my life 
ever since to learn to say thank you, uh, even when things are not the way I want them. <laughs> and to be grateful that that he gives us free will to make our choices. Yeah. And he doesn't make us puppets. But that means that loved one of ours also has free will. <laughs> and and you say, why didn't you stop it, God? Well, because <laughs> that's not the way I work. But yeah. he's always working. He's yeah. always yeah. working. Yeah. And um, I, I love... Uh, how Dina and her writing and how you, as you, the message I've heard you giving that became this book, more or less, uh, <clears throat> is full of God's word and the fact that he's the one who takes you through this. Yes. He's a constant companion. Yeah. Um, he doesn't just say, good luck. <laughs> yes. You can do it. Yeah. Uh, no, he's right there with you. And uh, that's been clear. And um, I, I just hope that our readers, and especially the dads who are listening, are realizing that, you're, that the Lord is there and that he's been there for you. Mm-hmm. You've been like any normal person. You've had to struggle through it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just believe that, one, as they listen to this podcast, you're going to be giving them hope mm-hmm. and a recognition of, Oh, I can I can make it. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't negate the fact that there's a lot of pain involved, yes. and disappointment, and hurt, and confusion, mm-hmm. all those things. Mm-hmm. And yet, God has allowed you to have some clarity on some of these things, yeah. and to grow. Uh, and I just thank God all the time for the gift of our messed up son <laughs> because mm-hmm. I have grown so much as a mm-hmm. result. And I know that that's what you would say as well. Yes, definitely. I think there are certain lessons that God needs to teach us that I think will only come through pain and uh, humility <laughs> being one of them. Uh, so, yes, while it's not a journey I would have chosen, I wouldn't trade the the growth or the lessons and the places that he's taken me through it. Yeah, that's that's great. Any other things you want to say? Think of the dad who would be calling you and saying, help. Anything else? Well, not only repeating, you know, I would say if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, consider that seriously. Uh, if you do get into the Word, scriptures were so helpful. And scriptures that you know you may have read a hundred times took on different impact and meaning because your context, everything changed. I go, whoa, that verse really came alive more. And, uh, and I, also, I think if your children have been exposed to scripture, it's a good prayer. You know, we use it. I would pray so often, God brings scripture to Renee, bring memories yes. of good times with good people, and you know, bring those back to her, even at even at the times when she doesn't want them the most. And he did, you know. She That's told beautiful. me. So, um, yeah, scripture is so powerful in prayer. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Tom, thank you, thank you so thank much you. for coming and being willing to be honest and vulnerable uh, so that others 
could look at their journey in maybe a better light than they had and have hope and really be willing to get help, maybe come to you for some help, or at least get your book and read it uh, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. And um, and don't forget, we're going to be giving away two of them, and you can join that. So um, you can buy this book anywhere you the yes. books are sold. June 15th. June 15th. They'll be released. Uh, and that's right around when this will air. Now, to my listeners, I want you to think a minute. Even as you've listened to Tom tell his story and uh, the hard journey and the good that has come from it, even though it's not been easy, what uh, what stood out to you? Uh, what do you think of that really applies to you right now? Was it to make, you know protect your marriage? Was it to to calmly and with love set those boundaries and consequences? Was it to maintain relationship, uh, to lower your voice, uh, whatever? Think and just what is it that God's saying to you right now that something you can do, a new idea to try, to try um, a decision to get some help, whatever God said to you during this little bit of time that we've had. Thank you so much, Tom. God bless you, and God bless you, all my listeners. Thank you. He has wonderful surprises for you.